This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. All right, here we are. It is Friday and we are doing another Friday financial wrap up with my good friend, Michael Zuber. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing good, man. Thanks. Thanks for this opportunity. I look forward. It's like all my work all week is for like this one conversation. It's pretty awesome. I love it. It's such a great opportunity too for the viewers, even for myself. You know, you have a busy week. It's a great way to recap what's going on in real estate and what's real. So thank you for doing this. Um, Let's jump into the jobs numbers. I know we had a job number uh, announcement. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So one of the things that you'll find on my channel is I do a look ahead, right? On Saturday or Sunday, I go, hey, here's the big things that are coming next week. And then we talk about them daily. This week was all about the jobs number. And the jobs number specifically is how many jobs were created in the month of July. This number has been very important for lots of reasons. First and foremost, we missed it horrifically three months ago, right? I think we were calling for a million. I had over-unders of a million. I chose the over, over, and we came in at like 286 or 386 or some number like that. Uh, Well, good news is uh, the month of July, they were forecasting 865,000 jobs created. I had an over-under on my channel of 800. I chose the over, over. I'm generally an optimistic person. Lots of people were picking the under, especially after Wednesday when the ADP report, which is a private payroll report, came out at 323 or something like that. Well, good news, we came in at 967. So we blew out the number, uh, just shy. You can round it up and call it a million jobs created. Uh, This is not to say that we're past this. This is not to say... Uh, we don't have more work to do, but let's celebrate that there's a million jobs created uh, in the month of July. And, um, you know, we, it, it's okay to celebrate a piece of good economic news. Uh, you know, there's a couple of things around this. It was such a good number uh, that there was a Fed president actually on Wednesday, I believe out of Chicago, who talked about, hey, you know, we, 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 might be, uh, we might be over-investing. We might be stimulating the economy too much. And what this Fed president said is, hey, if we get two months in a row, which at the time was the July report in August, we're going to have to back off. Hmm. And I've been calling, I, I've been highlighting that I think inflation is more real and more severe and be, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of boiling like a pot of water. And it's not about used cars. It's not about lumber. It's not about airline tickets. It's about the entire economy getting more expensive. And I think that's going to be a, a drag on the consumer, unfortunately. And lo and behold, we got, a, we got a million in July. And this is going to cause the Fed to check themselves uh, because they have been acting um, not, oh, I don't know. They've been, they've been stimulating the economy for a long time. And, and this, this number is so good. Uh, that they're going to have to start asking themselves, when do they start taking their foot off the gas? Interesting. Very interesting. Well, we better stay tuned and make sure that we're paying attention. So speak, So that transi- transitions us to the next topic, which is inflation. Yeah. So what are you seeing in inflation? Yeah. So inflation, again, is, is I believe, bubbling, right? It's kind of like a pot of water, right? It's starting to simmer. You're starting to see the little bubbles. 
a couple of people keep pointing at, and the Fed is guilty of this, right, Jerome Powell? Hey, look at used cars. It's up 10%. Look at lumber. Look at airline tickets. It's these one-offs that are clearly, without question, supply chain driven. But I've been looking at the economy for almost 30 years. I look below it, right? I have a degree in it. And it's just bigger than that, right? Sure, we may not have headline inflation at 10%, but believe me, if we have inflation at five or 6% and wage inflation is at four, real wage growth for the average consumer will be negative and that will be horrible. That is not okay. Uh, and a lot of it's because the Fed is just overstimulating uh, the economy and we need to watch, right? I talked about today, there's a container company called Masic, M-A-E-S-K, I think something like that. The, just these 40 foot shipping containers, they used to cost about 2,500 bucks to ship from China to the US. They're now 20 grand, wow. right? Um, it's just, everything is getting more expensive and you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a, and I feel so bad for the average consumer who's going to the grocery store, filling up their gas tank, healthcare, all these things are getting more expensive. And frankly, you can, it, it all goes back to the fed overstimulating the economy. And unfortunately it's, it's going to be longer. It's going to be higher. And, you know, the fed may at some point have to be very aggressive to fight it. But uh, right now, Jerome Powell is covering his eyes going, I don't see it. I don't see inflation. It's nowhere to be seen. It's there, buddy. It's, it just is. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, I always look at, I talked about three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, uh, fuel, you know, and I happened to be in a pinch and I had to pay four eighty nine dollars a gallon for fuel, yeah. which seemed a little excessive. <laughs> Just now, a little. <laughs> right. Now I'm driving around, though, and I don't see it anywhere. You know, I mean, four mid four to five bucks a gallon yeah. is almost I mean, we're almost right there. It feels like. Yeah, so. I, yeah I think the gas station closer to closest to me is four ninety nine. Yeah. And of course, we're in California, so we have a little bit more road tax than oh, yeah. other states. But ultimately, a lot of Californians watch this. So yeah, everybody's seen it, though. I mean, gas is up everywhere. I mean, it may be two eighty seven where you are, but hey, it was two thirty seven before, right? It's it, gas again. What do we all do? We eat. Most of us drive. Um, healthcare. Uh, it's just more expensive. Definitely. So let's transition. Let's talk about the housing slowdown. And I like, you did a video too yesterday and I didn't mention this pre-roll, mm. but uh, you did a video where people say, hey, are you still, do you want to recant yeah. your, you know, your feelings about a, a market bubble yeah. or all of those things? So let's talk about the housing slowdown. What is it? And let's talk about, let's address that bubble issue too that, that yeah. you talked about yesterday. Yeah, so first and foremost, they're, they're like, this eviction moratorium came out of nowhere, or, or the new one, I didn't expect it. Uh, it, sh it shocked me. And people have been asking me, I mean, pretty rude. I mean, people on the internet get pretty brave. And they've been, they've been coming at me pretty hard, basically calling me an idiot and stupid and just other nasty words. Um, so no, I don't think this thing causes a crash. Uh, again, I'm a supply and demand guy, uh, and I ask you, does demand get impacted by this at all? Only at the margins. Demand in housing is generally led by owner occupants. Owner occupants are not landlords nor renters, so they're they're just not impacted by an eviction moratorium. It's it's just like not part of it. And then as far as supply goes, yeah, there'll be some. I'm already seeing them. It's it's only been four, two days. Uh, there are some landlords that are like, I'm done. 
I can't trust the government. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm done. I've owned them for 30 years. I just want to sell and get out. So as far as the supply goes, yeah, we will see some more, but it will be so infinitesimal in the scheme of things that it can't cause a crash. What caused the last crash was a wave after wave after wave of supply into receding demand. And let's not forget, folks, another thing everybody's complaining about is Wall Street is buying up all the houses. Wall Street's not going to run away. Wall Street is paying cash. They don't need a loan. And they're investing in a market with rising rents. So, you know, if Wall Street got a 5% discount, do you think they care, right? They're, they're just going to go, they're going to go even bigger. So while we might get a touch more uh, supply, demand's not going anywhere. And, you know, Wall Street's still the ever buyer. So no, no, no crash. No crash. I would agree. And it's interesting. I like the market we're in that it's beginning to normalize. Oh, it's, exactly. We're going from this extreme seller uh, buyer to a more balanced market. That's a slowdown, folks. That's a leveling. We, have made, we may have seen all the appreciation for the year. It's okay. You know, you can slow down a little bit. It's not 15 offers in 15 minutes anymore. That was an unnaturally biased seller's market. And frankly, not healthy. Very unhealthy. You know, that, that poses another question that, that I want to throw at you and that, you know, all of a sudden now, I, I don't, like I said, I watch your news because it's relevant to my world and my livelihood and what we do. Mm -hmm. um, but I've heard a lot of rumblings that the last couple of weeks, you know, about outbreaks on the virus and now mm -hmm. certain counties are having mask mandates. And then even to the point where I'm having conversations with people and they're saying, hey, it feels like we're going to go into another shutdown in the next couple of weeks, yeah. things like that. If we do go into some version of restriction yeah. or a shutdown, mm -hmm. how do you see that affecting inventory and playing out with what we're with, with the housing slowdown with inventory mm -hmm. and just the economy? How just in, yeah. So I, I, I will absolutely answer that question. I'd just be remiss if I didn't share what I think. So I hear those rumblings as well. Obviously, it's impactful. And, and, and again, let's be clear, I am wrong all the time. But I take a shot, right? I, I take a shot. I do not see the US economy shutting down again. Uh, it would be, um, I just don't see it. Could it happen? Sure. I didn't think the eviction moratorium would start again, and it did. So what do I know? I, but again, I, I don't see it. I think there's a lot of people on the left and right um, that that are very noisy and then create it just they create noise and, and, and it gets spread but no I don't see a shutdown but hey what happens if we have one in three weeks and it's 30 days long or 45 days long or all of that the good news is I think we have history to look at uh, and again I've looked at this because again I'm a, I'm a studier of data uh, so the first thing that happens is you're going to see a removal of houses from that are active Right. The last time the shutdown occurred, you had plenty of, uh, I don't know what the percentage was, it was 15 or 18% from memory, remove active listings. It's like, hey, don't come in my house. Right. That's what people were scared. People were, they didn't want to be around people they didn't know. And at the time, remember, we were washing our groceries or cleaning our groceries. Thank God we're not doing that anymore. But again, if people are fearful, people will just take their listing off and they will wait until they're not afraid. So I think active listings go down. Uh, second, now buyers. Buyers will be interesting because last time buyers got aggressive, especially buyers in apartments and condos, vertical living, right? Uh, leaving cities. Uh, I don't see that occurring this time. 
I think a lot of the people that were kind of on the cusp of moving and they wanted space and they wanted this, they want they've already bought. You, housing is not like shoes. You don't buy another one every season, right? You live there for a while. So I don't see buyers kind of accelerating like last time because I would hope that people believe the shutdown would be, I don't know, I don't believe one's coming, but it would be short-lived, I would hope. Um, so I do see supply going backwards. I don't see demand jumping that much. Again, one guy's opinion. Um, but hey, that's, that's, you know, in the unlikely event that that happens, that's kind of what I see. Got it. I appreciate that. Um, let's talk about the something I know that you do another weekly interview. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's somebody that specializes in syndication and multifamily. Yep. Mm -hmm. We touched on it about two or three weeks ago, talking about syndications that may be over leveraged mm -hmm. and or just not very well thought out. Um, I want you to just elaborate on that, like syndications that might be at risk. Yeah, there's a lot of syndications today that are being pitched. And again, I get them because I'm an accredited investor and they come out with some very great returns, 18% and this and that. Uh, unfortunately, because uh, I have two syndicators that do that, uh, one on um, Anna's on Wednesday and Jonathan's on Thursday, right? And both of them are like, there are some bad assumptions, right? Uh, the first thing I would tell you as a limited partner, which is the people that I'm most fearful of, because again, you're going to wire 50 grand, you're going to wire hundred grand and you're so excited to do it. Uh, however, if you're wiring into the deal that is leveraged to the hilt and has bad assumptions, you could have just lost that entire pile of money because your equity and equity could go away. So what do I mean? First off, if you're likely a part of a syndication today, the financing is so engineered, it almost reminds me of the 06 crash in single family. Neg am loans, interest only, all of these things. And then you have bad debt structures, bread financing, two years, you got to get out, you got to do your value add in, a, in an environment. And then there's just bad assumptions. You're assuming rents are going to go up by an abnormal amount. You assume expenses are not going to go up. And if you're investing into an environment that I believe is going to have higher interest rates, base rates, the 10-year rate's going to be higher in two years than it is today. I don't know how much higher, but higher. You're going to be refining into an environment where the debt structure is more expensive. Most importantly for an LP on an equity reposition is you're going to be refining because the rate is higher into a cap rate is higher. And the cap rate off an NOI means the value is going to come down. And at point of refi, you're not going to get what you expect. And in some cases, uh, I talked to both my syndicators are like, the debt structure could cause the, the, the general partners, the GP to lose the building. Because the banks are very, um, there's a lot more restrictions in commercial debt, where if, if the value falls below a certain level, they can take the asset. You don't have that in residential, but you do in commercial. So I think there are some LPs that are wiring money today that are going to cry in two years because they, they got into a deal that was destined to fail. So I'm, I'm very nervous for LPs today. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate the detail and explaining that more for the audience. And um, as always, Michael, thank you so much for all that you do. Um, I want to also just talk about something that you and I, we communicated, we text about and talked about a little bit. Um, you have some new data sets, some 50 yeah. year data. Well, tell, what, what, yeah, what, what are we going to do with that? So we're, we're, our next video together, I'm going to show something I've shown no one. 
So about two weeks ago, I did 40 years of housing data, but I did it every five years. And some people were calling BS on that because it was, you know, it's, you know, it was 85 and 90 and 95 and 2000, right? They're like, you missed the important years. So what did I do the last week? I went, all right, son of a gun. I'm going to go back to 1970 and I'm going to collect unique data about every year since 1970 up to 2020. And it is enlightening what you insightful. It is insightful what you can see with that. So I'm going to share for the first time anywhere with you, 50 years of housing data. And we are going to make assumptions and opinions about what is going on in right now. So I'm excited to share it. And I brought it to you first. I love it. Thank you for that. I got to say too, that, um, I've been super curious growing up in the 70s and 80s and seeing hyperinflation mm -hmm. and waiting in line for gas mm -hmm. and all of the different things that have happened economically. I always wonder if this is going to be fun to go through the data with you because of, you know, really saying, OK, how does this compare to now to maybe what it looked like in the 1970s or 1980s? So it, it was uh, I did again, when you pull data sets like this together. You can't have an opinion because every year is unique. And again, we'll go through all the variables here in a moment. But yeah, I'm excited to share with you. I love it. So as always, Michael, thank you for all that you do. Everybody out there, <laughs> do yourself a favor. Uh, the book, One Rental at a Time, it's absolutely a must. If you already have the book, if you've read the book, if you enjoy the content on YouTube, go on to Amazon, give Michael a five-star review. Please, please, please share the information with everybody. Thank you so much for all you do, Michael. Thank you.